Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I did a story about this guy named Craig. So it said, my only complaint is that Craig should have narrated the entire thing because Molly sounds like a not-so-well-read teenager. Molly Webster is a producer at Radiolab. And Molly was talking there in a session about how women are so often criticized for using vocal fry, which is what I'm laying on real thick right now. Or, you know what, just talking the way they might normally talk. I'm Shamita Basu, and this is Work It, the podcast, a compilation of the best moments from the live event. So here's Molly again, along with On the Media's Brooke Gladstone, Another Round's Heaven Nagatu, Invisibilia's Lulu Miller, and Only Humans' Mary Harris. Hello. Uh, I'm so excited to be to be doing this. I've had to think about this a lot. So when I was thinking about uh, this panel and what and and what to say, the only thing I could think of was um, well, I thought of a lot to be honest. But the thing that I'm going to start with is that a couple of months ago, Radiolab did this thing. It was like a spoof on you know Jimmy Kimmel does that thing where you where you read with celebrities mean read mean tweets about themselves. And so Radiolab was like, did something called like Haters Gonna Hate, which was just like reading mean tweets like we had gotten. And so we were charged basically with going and looking at comments to see like what people had said about the show or something. And it was a sad day at Radiolab. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you, and then, and then, and I sort of never, uh, I try to avoid comments, and we can talk about that here because there's just, a, a, you know, it can be pretty negative. Um, but I fell into this world where I realized that people have an issue with the way I talk, um, which is, and so I'll just read you, I'll read you my two favorites, and then, and then we'll go. One, and one is, um, I did this story about this guy named Craig. So it said, my only complaint is that Craig should have narrated the entire thing because Molly sounds like a not-so-well-read teenager. That was one. <laughs> and then the next one, if I can do the voice, I will. Uh, like, for instance, when producer Molly Webster started to talk, I keep thinking, like, I'm not in the Red Rock of Utah. I'm in, like, a Starbucks where, like, some high school sophomore sucking on her iced aspartame lace quadruple latte starts telling me about the time she and some of her friends did something, like, really cool. Uh, and so I was like, wow, okay. Well, <laughs> I hope they like the story. Um, and so it's funny because at some level... I get together with my, with my girlfriends, with my colleagues, and we, we laugh about these things. But at another level, we all know this, it's a really serious conversation. Um, like, what, why do people care so much? Should we care that they care? You know, as this medium is changing and there's more opportunities for women's voices and we're, uh, you know, pushing ourselves to the forefront, you know, there's just, it's, it's, uh, it's a big conversation to be had. And so I'm very excited. I'm going to invite the panelists up. And then I'll break down how, how we're going to kind of do this. Yay! All right. I apologize to you guys. You just get like an elbow. That's all you get. Um, okay. So my amazing panelists are Mary Harris, who is going to be the host of WNYC's new and not yet named podcast, but it's going to be amazing. Then we have Lulu Miller, who is the co-host of NPR's breakout hit, Invisibilia, with uh, Elise Spiegel. And then we have Heaven Nagatu, woo, 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 
I'm so excited about this, uh, from uh, BuzzFeed's Another Round, which will be great, co-host. And then Brooke Gladstone, who's going to just awe us with her wisdom, um, down uh, host of On the Media. And if we're lucky, she'll like pull out her electronic cigarette in the middle <laughs> and just and throw a little sass our way. Um, so in a real quick second, we're going to hear a sound of all these women's voices. But I just, now that I have their full attention, I want to say, so what I was thinking with this panel is I want to talk a little bit in the beginning just about, um, we have like an hour before we're going to open it up to Q&A. So not really, but uh, no one will kick me off the stage. Uh, so, we, so I want to spend some time talking about um, just kind of vocal ticks, basically, that people keep talking about, the elephant in the room, vocal fry. Brooke and I were talking about upspeak and likes and these types of things. And then I want to get a, into a bigger conversation about um, just sort of the profession as it changes and women mm-hmm. as authoritative voices and, and that type of thing. And then talk at the end about finding, finding your own voice as a, as a female host or as a female producer who's creating content. And then that'll open it up into a Q&A with you guys. So uh, I want to start by hearing the clip of, of, of all these ladies' voices. The snakes had this special kind of friction, what's called an isotropic friction, where the friction works more intensely in one direction. Mm -hmm. And so to see how much of a role this plays in their speed, all he would have to do is see how the snake moves without scales. So the best thing we could do was put a snake into a sock. (laughs) For years, my husband Mark and I had been wrestling with the idea of having a second kid, a sibling for our son, Leo. I always love you, but... I'm drawing a comic book right now. (laughs) Two weeks after we decided to try, we found a lump. I was so pissed. I was like, this can't be happening. Like, we've just finally made this decision after, like, years of debate. I rubbed it, and a genie came out and gave me three wishes. And so I wish for a gorgeous house. And, and you see behind me this huge mansion? Yeah, it's really nice. That's the house. And then I wished for a beautiful wife. And, and you see that really lovely blonde coming down the street? That's my wife. And, and then here's where I think I went wrong. I wished for a big orange head. <laughs> We are so very excited for our next guest. Thrilled. We have the first lady of New York City, y'all, Miss Sherlane McRae here. She's the chair of the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City, a nonprofit organization that focuses on supporting public programs in areas including mental health and support for young men and women of color. We're so excited to be here. Oh my God. <laughs> Excellent, ladies. And I just want to take a quick poll of the room, um, a, ha- a hand raise. If you, if you like myself or Manoush or any of these women on the panel, uh, have had a comment about your voice, your style of speak, vocal fry, likes, ums, any of those things, just to get a sense. Okay, so that's almost everyone. Um, all right. It's good to know. Uh, so, Lulu, I want to start with you. Uh, we are of the generation of vocal fry. So I want to know, have you, do you think about it? Have you ever been accused of it? Do you care? Well. (laughs) No, actually, so, so, okay. Disclaimer. You know, you know Magic Eye? No. Those books from the 90s where you could, like, 
see a sailboat if you <laughs> blurred. Is it like 3D? It's like an yeah. illusion? Yes. Okay. okay. Illusions. I've never wow. been able to see a magic eye. You okay. And I can't hear vocal fry. So like even oh, it's, and, like, and magic it's guy? like magic guy. So oh. maybe <laughs> okay. so maybe I don't hear it because I have a similar disability with stereotropic vision and hearing. Maybe mm-hmm. there's some sort of willful <laughs> will yeah. That was stereotropic was definitely the right word. Um, maybe there's some sort of willful maybe something else is going on and there's like a willful refusal to hear it. But and I heard that this American Life segment and I loved it and the whole time I was like so what is it? Like, I, I can't, I mean, I know what Demi Moore sounds like, and that, mm-hmm. to me, sounds like a husky voice. I think I can hear a husky voice, but I don't think vocal fry is a husky voice, right? Isn't it something else? So I can't hear it, and there is some basic part of me that feels like this whole conversation in some ways is, like, discussing the thread count on the Emperor's New Clothes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, okay. Let's examine it. But but then I'm like, okay, maybe it's real. So I want to I want to I want to acknowledge that maybe it is a thing and it must be if if some people are so cuz some of the comments are so yeah. furious it's it's turning off the dial furious. So maybe it is a real thing. I'm dubious. I am dubious that it exists. But I think it's interesting to talk about what it might be. Um have I ever received I I didn't um until I started working on Invisibilia. And now, and and then there's this thing that Elise and I have similar voices, and people can't tell us apart, which I thought was ridiculous until my dad was like, "That was a great story <laughs> that you did for 22 minutes. That wasn't me. Dad. That the that tra- the one about the lovely like transgender. Like for yeah. the Freakonomics announcing, I'll have people be like, "You read that ad like so well," and I was like, "Mom, that wasn't me. Yeah, that was like, some other lady. I don't know. Yeah, Dad, that was not your daughter for 22 minutes, but I." Love you. So, so, but inter, like, anyway, uh, I now get, I do get um, mm-hmm. more, uh, we've gotten a few things about vocal fry and it being horrible, and we would listen to the show if, if only you didn't have fry. But more I've gotten, like, that we sound like we're going shopping, which I guess is a different issue um, huh. than not this, this. Uh, yeah, I'd, yeah. Well, so, Heaven, you have just burst into the podcasting audio world. Do you, do you, do they, do you think about your voice and how it sounds? I'm also of the opinion that vocal fry doesn't exist (laughs) or I just can't hear it. But, um, the kinds of comments we get are more like, I'm a very active listener. So I say yes all the time, (laughs) which some people are like, it's like disruptive, but like mostly people are like, oh, this is so fun. Mm -hmm. So most of the time I just don't hear or care for the comments about voices. Like, what am I supposed to do? Change my voice? Like, I cannot do that. I'm not allowed to do impressions in the studio. (laughs) So there's no way I can change my voice because I'm so bad at it. Um, So, yeah, vocal fry I still don't think is real. Like, it's like the way... Nobody's like pathologizing Ira Glass's voice. He has his own tics and they his did own. when he started. I was like, I they think did. I think there was some there is some Ira Glass tick happening, but now I almost feel like it's the thing people aim for in right. a weird way. And, well maybe in like twenty years vocal fry is what we'll all aim for. <laughs> I don't know. Brooke, I wanna I wanna I think you have some vocal fry feelings. Well, 
Iris said that he thought it was generational. I, I guess I'm of the general feeling that everything you do and every way you use your voice has content. It, it gives content. So then, and I do hear vocal fry sometimes, so the question is, what's the content being conveyed? I mean, when you hear Ira do it, mm-hmm. uh, th- there was that great moment on Colbert, you might remember, where uh, Colbert says, I love the way you suck the life out of everything. And Ira goes, <laughs> what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, this is, I'm Ira Glass, this is This American Life, today's subject, dogs. You know, that kind of thing. Okay, so, so what is Ira saying there? Ira is saying... This is boilerplate. I don't really believe what I'm saying. That's a fried delivery. Whenever he, in, at least in my yeah. definition of vocal fry, it's a flattening out. It's a fried delivery. It says, I don't really care about this. And he says that vocal fry is generational. And, and maybe, I'm not of this generation, so I can only speculate, there is a certain, there was at least, I think it's, turning again, but there was a certain disdain for passion and commitment. It was better if everything was kind of conditional. I think that women have a tendency to uh, maybe do it more because women are still working on basically owning what it is they say, and to flatten it out or to upspeak it is to make it more conditional, and therefore I'm not in your face, I'm not that kind of girl, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. And so it's, I mean, I may be overthinking the thing, but I think we've had tons of kids, boys, interns on the show with lots of vocal fry. We've also had interviewees of both sexes, maybe of all three, with uh, or four, or five with uh with vocal fry and uh you know i think it's part of it is just i've been through it all before part of it is i mean if you hear ira who really does do a version of it a lot that doesn't stop him from getting all passionate and uh-huh. spewing saliva when he gets really excited and and that's the thing is is that that flattening is is something and and then the passion is something else one other thing i might say about vocal fry is simply if they aren't complaining about vocal fry, these vocal fry freaks, and I've never gotten that, uh, and my voice will crack on the bottom all the time. If they aren't complaining about that, then they're complaining about pitch. You know, when mm-hmm. we got our new host, TLDR, at TLDR, we had some people tweeting, I just can't stand the sound of her voice. It was a high-pitched voice. So you've got this perfect zone mm-hmm. that the mostly guys out there are, you know, who are prone to complain, won't like. It's, uh, you know, anything that's high is, like, painful, which is what they said about the TLDR host. Mm-hmm. She did not have a shrieky, painful voice. And, uh, or else you've got your fry, because women are dropping their pitch, and I think they are doing it either consciously or unconsciously, and they just can't get enough air down there. Well, so you're going to have fry. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually thinking about this this morning when I was, I was listening to uh, some podcast where I was thinking... Is it that traditionally sort of like this, you know, I'm, I'm at the nightly news desk and I am sort of have this like serious, deeper male baritone and I'm delivering the news that in some, and even if you hear like uh, NPR newscasters, you know, it's like a very mellow kind of even. And I wonder if at some level people are trying to match that and in matching it, 
it's go ahead, Mary. Well, I guess I'd just say I feel like I've watched this transition happen. Mm -hmm. So before I came into radio, I spent about a decade at ABC (laughs) News. I was working at World News Tonight and Good Morning America. And that's a place where your own voice doesn't really exist. You're a newscaster. You are conveying the news. It is all about not you, but the story. Um, And I remember the first time I worked with a correspondent who was really trying to put his own voice into the story, and I really, I stood back like, do you really want to do that? And he's like, yes, that's my voice. And he really, his name is Bill Weir, he's on CNN now. Um, And he really got that we're at this moment of transition, where being a a part of your story is important. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really what this is about. Yeah. and if you want to hear vocal fry and if you want to hear your tics, do a radio diary. That's what I did. Yeah. And you listen to yourself like, Ugh. Um, you know, my dad sent me a note being like, you know, I hear all these ladies on NPR and they sound like Valley girls who need attention. That's not you, honey. And I was like, well, you don't know how many likes were edited out of my radio diary, <laughs> yeah. dad. Um, Whereas like on Radio Lab, they just boldly are like, we're keeping them all in. And I'm like, do you really want to do yeah. that? Like maybe we could take out like the 18th like. Because yeah. I said a lot in that sentence. <laughs> do you guys um, ever have trouble listening to your own voices? Like just, I, I have so much guilt and shame like, I'll think, like, it's, it's like the cultural prejudices come raining down when I'm listening back to my tape, where I'm like, oh, I sounded too flirty. I sounded, why did I laugh so much? Brooke is nodding. Everyone's nodding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you had a lot of bourbon, so maybe after that, you're like, Jesus, I shouldn't have had that fourth shot. I did threaten to bring out shots, but I decided not to. Oh. <laughs> um, anyone want to jump in? Lulu? <clears throat> oh, Heck yeah. I mean, like you were saying, you say yes too much. And, and I started to realize, oh, I am so affirmative. You know, and I was once an unnamed producer at Radio Lab, put together a lovely little daisy chains of my, like, hmm, yeah, 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 hmm, hmm, like Because I say them so much. Like, you know, and so I actually have tried to peel myself back a little bit to say them less. And I notice it more. But of course, all the time. But I will say, and I'm, I'm thinking about the distance thing that maybe Fry is, or one of the things people are reacting to is this emotional distancing, and that that is hard to hear in any form, just as it's hard to hear in an overly fake report. Like, it, it's sad to hear a human not being a human. I th- it's, 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 but it is, but it is, to your point, I mean, it is hard for women in the sense of you either have too many opinions or you don't have enough. You're either too angry or you're really boring. Your voice is too high or it's too low. And it's this question of, I don't know, like like one, I guess what I was thinking about with listening to the tape is some sort of personal acceptance of this is how you sound. Right. Get over it. And, And try and shut out like all the things that culture and gender has pushed on you. And, but then also as a profession, you know, trying to figure out do these things matter? Heaven, you are nodding. <laughs> yeah, I think by like episode two, I just got over the sound of my own voice. I was like, I cannot keep impressive. doing this. <laughs> yeah. You can't keep going if you every time uh-huh. you hear your voice and like reviewing the episode, you're like uncomfortable. Yeah. That won't work. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't the job for you. <laughs> but there's at still Radio obviously Lab, we just we just yell at ourselves. We'll just be like, oh, like Jad will be like, shut up, Jad, and then I'll be like, oh, it's whiny Molly again. <laughs> That's how we deal with it. <laughs> There's still an element of, like, you want to get better, so you're like, oh, I, I'm generous with my laughter, but maybe I can pull back a little mm-hmm. when I'm interviewing this kind of person. Or, you know, you, like, learn and you get better as, like, an interviewer, but you just got to get over yourself. 
Like, what are you going to do? You can't change how people feel about your voice. <laughs> they got to do better and they got to get their lives together. I'm not, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Brooke, has your voice or your style of speaking changed yeah. over time? Yeah, I completely endorse heaven, you know, get over yourself in both areas, both in uh, being self-conscious about your voice and also, I would say, in sealing it in stone, like, this is how I sound and therefore I will never change because that would be compromise because I, I don't think that's a good idea either. I used to complain about this, hearing the sound of my voice and it was a sincere complaint. Uh, I remember very early on when I was going on the air, really the, after being a reporter, which I wasn't around to hear it so much sometimes, but uh, in, uh, when I was filling in for Scott Simon, uh, I was in... I was in NPR a lot, and I just said, oh, I can't stand the sound of my voice. And then one day I was walking by, a bunch of engineers were working on some reels, and one of them said to the other, you know what I hate? I fucking hate when hosts say they can't stand the sound of their voice. Then shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, you know, from that moment I said, yeah, shut the fuck up. So that's your take-home message, everyone. That's all you need to know. Uh, in terms of finding my voice, when I started, I was at NPR, and there was a, a very uh, standard kind of NPR uh, cadence, and I used to do it simply by lifting the soft palate. Everyone knows what that is, right? It's the sort of part at the back of your tongue, which, if you're from New York, rests on the back of your tongue, and if you're from anywhere else, generally it's lifted. So uh, I would say, um, you know... From National Public Radio in Washington, D.C., this is Weekend Edition. Scott Simon is out this week. I'm Brooke Gladstone. And I would also do all my stories this way. The air would go over the back of the tongue. My voice sounded nicer. It really sounded nicer. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was home, and my kids were upstairs, and I was really annoyed at them. And I said, Sophie, Maxine, come downstairs. And they said, not if you have your radio voice. We're not coming down if you have your radio voice. At, at which point, slowly over time, and when I got my own chair, the soft palate got lower and lower and lazier and lazier, and you heard that piece of tape. There's this story about this guy with a big orange head. And, uh, you know... I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine with it. Sometimes I'm very puzzled by the reaction to my voice. As, as it's quite well known in the building... I would say half the listeners in my anecdotal experience, judging from the tweets, judging from people going to parties and saying that they work at WNYC, is at least half of my listeners think I am black and a quarter think I'm a lesbian. So <laughs> when I meet them and I know it, I can see the disappointment creep across their face. And I say, you know... I made some bad mistakes when I was young. It's too late. I can't do anything. More. But, uh, you know, it, it would have been a lot cooler. But So that's another thing that you just, you just accept. You know, yeah. one thing, I think the most important thing I can share, and I can shut up for the rest of it, is the no, best... own your voice, the, Brooke. The one, thing, the one thing that I have that virtually none of you guys have... <laughs> with the exception of maybe you two over there or some of those, is that I am 60. 
And I can't tell you... No, no. Oh, please, give me a break. Shut the fuck up. No, no, no. What I wanted to say is that you really stop giving a shit about so much... So much of my life has been driven by fear. So many of the vocal tics that we're talking about, these issues are all propelled by fear. And the wonderful, magnificent thing is that the older you get, it stops being a sort of a professional climb and it starts being, am I enjoying this ride at all? (laughs) And then you're, and and you really, you stop caring. And if I could bequeath something to everyone here is if you could just feel like you were 60 professionally. (laughs) So many of these problems would go away. The breaks, the, you know, did you squeak too much? Did you sound like a girl? Did you hurt somebody's ears? Are you frying or any of that stuff? You just wouldn't care. So I wish you could have that. But you can't. You'll have to make do with youth. I feel like that's your mic drop. You can can just, boom, walk off the stage. She don't care about this panel. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Let's <laughs> rain it in, bro. Let's rain it in. Uh, Mary, just yeah. to go off of that, you're you you know you're stepping from a producer role into being a host. Have are you in any way thinking to yourself like what is my voice? Or I also think you're starting a health podcast, like in the mm-hmm. sense of. Uh, talk about managing being authoritative. I think a lot of times women led health podcasts and Manoush was saying this or uh, Hillary was saying this yesterday was a lot of people think she's just like a mommy podcast Mm -hmm. and so I think sometimes women at the head of like a health podcast or something could be quickly labeled as like oh this is going to be like you know how to eat better in the morning to like get through your day with your kids. Do you are you thinking about any of these things? Oh yeah. I mean I don't think it's going to be that because yeah. I love storytelling. Oh, and exactly. That's what no. I want it to be. But I think that the thing about podcasts is that when you listen to a podcast, it completely relies on how much you trust that person. Mm-hmm. And it's a different relationship than you have with your radio um, or with your television or with any other kind of media in your life. You, It's plugged into your ears. You're listening to the podcast during an intimate moment. You're in the car. You're washing dishes. You're letting the podcast into your life in this very um, special way. And so I feel like that's really freeing. You can really be yourself. Um, and, yeah, I've done health reporting for a long time and producing, but I also have personal experience with health mm-hmm. issues, and I feel like that will help um, mm-hmm. because it's about more than just conveying the news. It's not mm-hmm. really about the news at all. It's about the fact that our lives – health is a huge part of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of how we live our lives. Um, and you may not realize it until you reach a certain point, a certain age. And so that's that's what I want to convey. Right. And, and Heaven, just to go off of this, she's talking about how do you achieve an intimate, like, conversational feel in a podcast – and get people to trust you. Everyone's been talking about the Shalane McRae interview mm-hmm. that you guys did. You guys are such a conversational show. Uh, did you, how did you, and you, and, and Tracy mentioned this a little yesterday, sort of finding the authoritative and what it meant to do that type of interview with the tone and style and sound of the show that you've, that you've set up. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think... 
at BuzzFeed in general, our tone, as you know, probably <laughs> is like super highbrow, lowbrow. We accept that humans like cats and philosophy and news and, you know, all like, at the same time, all at the same time, we're capable of multitudes. <laughs> so that's kind of the vibe we want on the show, which is like we drink, we have fun. We talk about petty stories about breakups, but we also are like thinking about mental health and what money the city's putting into the infrastructure of that like you know these are all things one human can care about yeah. so we try to like incorporate that into our show and the Shirley McRae episode was huge for us <laughs> but we tried to approach it just like any other normal show it's like oh we're gonna have our silly Jason Bateman quiz at the beginning <laughs> I hope she doesn't mind <laughs> and then get into like uh, we prepared some serious questions but also like she's also a normal human so she's gonna have like silly things to talk about, like the good wife or whatever. So that's just like our general vibe and our general approach to everything we do is like really get like the human side of this, which is like there's a lot of issues you got to discuss, but also you want to laugh and make jokes. Mm-hmm. So besides, you dialed back on the drinking, but you other did than dial that, back on the drinking. <laughs> but other than that, you sort of stayed true to the. Yeah, we plan every show with sort of like um, I plan every show in my head like John Oliver's. <laughs> Uh, HBO show right now mm-hmm. where it's like he goes long on one topic but like the beginning is like a uh, short thing short thing that's like kind of fun and then at the end he might have some crazy silly like mascot on the stage or something like that's the kind of thinking I come into with like planning a show it's like oh we need something super silly break up the tone oh we gotta make sure we ask her about all these questions um, at the very beginning, we got to make sure she brings up her daughter before we do so that she feels comfortable sharing these kind of intimate things, but also feels comfortable enough to like share stories mm-hmm. about what it's like being first lady. People touch your hair, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. all those sorts of things. Yeah. And Lulu, you, you were talking earlier about how now as the host of a show and a co-host with another female that you notice comments about your sound more so than when you were a reporter at Radiolab, which was under two male hosts. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, one thing that's qualitatively different is that we're, we're, we're writing more, we're, we're doing more scripting. We have longer blocks of copy. We're the, I mean, I, the Radiolab uh-huh. sound is harnessing so much authentic speech. So in, I think I was trained to think less about my voice because it just was, there was no moment alone in the studio, like, who am I and how do I read these words right now? I'm going to think about my mom, or I'm going to think about the, there was was less of that existential, who the fuck am I, sort of, there was just, you were being recorded as you talked. And then later, you would write one sentence to bridge, as you know, like, to bridge these things that had just fallen out of your mouth with no thinking about it. And so now a lot I'm I feel like I'm I'm personally thinking about this question of how does my voice sound because I have to read copy which is newer to me. Mm-hmm. Um and and I don't think I personally have like found my sweet spot maybe bourbon would help. Yes. Um <laughs> I don't know like I haven't I don't or, I, and or your so, 60 year old self. Or yes. my 60 yeah, I think okay, bringing both. those together. I'm going to be like okay. And um Instead of plucking my gray hairs, I'm going to let them grow in, yeah. bring in a mirror, a bottle of bourbon, <laughs> season two, invisibilia, I got it down. Um, but no, so I think I think that um, there is the, 
I maybe there's more discomfort for some interest. Okay, sorry, I, but there's there maybe as be, because we're hosts, there's more sort of why are you woman splaining at me and it's more uh-huh. red. And I do hear whole blocks of copy where I don't like my read because I don't quite know how to do that mm-hmm. yet. Um, but then we do sometimes get comments often from young women who are like. I turned on the radio and I heard my voice for the first time. And they're not a lot of them, but there have been a few comments that we've gotten that are like, okay, just for as many people hate it, there are the people who are like, hallelujah, for the first time I'm hearing myself reflected. Um, And so I think, I don't know that the difference is that I'm hosting. I think for me the comments have changed because I'm playing around with what I'm doing and I'm reading more and maybe that sounds faker or stiffer or... So I sort of have a theory that that's why that the the comments are more right now. But I like that because it's like, uh, as Brooke was talking about, your voice is going to continue to change and develop, and it's not like we're like locked in to, to one idea of who we are, what we are, and it could change between podcasts and what's on radio, yeah. or it could change between hosting and producing. And I will say that one of the things I always notice with Radiolab is 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 – and I want to talk about sort of situations where you found where you feel like, oh, that's that's me. Like I I, I felt more authentic to myself there, and so I realize uh, when I'm at Radio Lab, it's the moments when uh, Jad will make us go like uh, like put put down the script, and you're like, what, what I don't what, why would I put down the script? And he's like, <laughs> you know this part, just just tell me the history. And I'm like, oh, like from 1942 to like 1999 or like how, how much? And he's very, very patient. And so you just, and in, in those moments when you're just talking, when you just talk, then all of a sudden you go, oh, that's what I sound like. That's what, the other time is when I'm really angry. Like, uh, or, or if I'm like field reporting and you're, and you're just, you know, six hours in. You just have no idea. I mean, at that point, I'm just talking to the mic like it's a therapy session. <laughs> and then you listen back to that, and you're like, oh, I guess I do <clears throat> say like a lot. Um, but, uh, Brooke, did you have a mo- do you, have you had moments, you were kind of talking about situational moments where you, where you just, maybe when your kids shouted at you, that's your radio <laughs> voice? Defining moment. Uh, you know, obviously, On the Media is a really difficult, different show. It's not... Yeah. It's diff- your show is just as difficult, I meant to say different, because it is very scripted, and that's because we are a broadcast program principally, and uh, we try and cram a lot of stuff into the hour, and yeah. so the most efficient way to do that is to write scripts, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you have to write very carefully, you have to write very tightly, you choose the exact right word. I enjoy that part. I really do. I really like that part. And then there are tricky things about writing scripts that you can read. And, you know, there's, for instance, dependent clauses. You know, somebody who will talk about, I'm going to, you know, a lot of little phrases back-to-back that define the, the phrase that preceded it. And I found that I make those sentences very long sometimes, and it's because I have a pretty good vocal range, and if you drop a note for every dependent clause, you can set it aside. I was going to the store, but then I met a mailman. The mailman was carrying a bag. In the bag was actually a, a package for me. <laughs> and so I, I went to get it, and then I went to get breakfast, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So doom, 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 doom. So you think and, a lot about, like, grammar. You think about how you... Know, you... I, I trained... That's 
putting it a little grandly, but I, <laughs> my degree is in theater. I'll put it that way. I studied a little in London, did a little summer stock. Anyway, uh-huh. I cared about presentation. Uh, you know, in fact, the culture at NPR when I got there was, we were about the news. Let's, let's be the New York Times of the air. They were past their, just past their sort of freaky, you know, hippy-dippy face and heading into their, we are mainstream. Uh, and, you know, it's great. You see the circle going around again, not to hippy-dippy, but to something distinct, individual, and alternative. NPR was striving for a mainstreamdom back then. I remember getting a note from Ellen Weiss once who said, it's, it's really amazing how they let you uh, talk like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought I was, you know, in the zone. But, mm-hmm. you know, you sound like, uh, you know, Julie Kavner, then you sound like yeah. Julie Kavner. Mary, do, what about you? Because I was listening to that, uh, I re-listened to that, to your story mm-hmm. um, that we heard the clip of, and it was so, I just thought it was so beautiful, and, and you really did something where you were talking, you were at your house talking, I don't even understand how you recorded that much stuff, even maybe pre-knowing you were going to do a radio series about it. Um, were there any moments in there where you felt like you like found sync with yourself somehow i was really happy when i got the word pissed on all things considered i felt like it was a very authentic moment (laughs) and it was funny i got a letter like an email from the editor like the day before saying oh the lawyers or whoever has just approved this and i was like oh really we got to get that approved (laughs) um but i think the fact that i was talking through things contemporaneously with Uh someone what it was is uh, i would go into a studio with the producer amanda ronchik she would talk to me or me and my husband and we would just talk about what's happening um and to be able to listen to that was really wonderful in terms of just developing who am i what is my voice Mm -hmm. um because i was just talking through something kind of the way radio lab does it um, because she'd been at Radio Lab before and so she just got me through it and moving forward it's a wonderful way to kind of know who you are and who I am is kind of funny and kind of a little bit blue sometimes and um, to be okay with that and then to be able to present that on air um, I think that's why it resonated with people Mm -hmm. because it wasn't scripted in a really traditional way right and heaven you are in a very conversational show did and you went from print to to audio so did you have a a moment where you felt like oh this is this is either the the this is the sound of who i am on on air or like a learning moment maybe as we think about how to develop your own voice i don't know if there was a moment but it's interesting, like, seeing how the th- kinds of things I'd write on BuzzFeed versus the kinds of things we say on the show get received. And I think it's because of, like, the intimacy of the show and, like, our ability to, like, hone in on our own voices that you can have, like, these, like, small moments while you're listening to your show. You'd be like, oh, like, if I had just written this on the website, I just don't think it'd be received as well. It just falls flat. But when it's, like, me and Tracy laughing, exchanging, mm-hmm. it, it feels like people understand what we're trying to say better. Even if it was, like, a transcript of what our conversation was on the site, it just wouldn't convey the same message. There's so much in human communication that's just how you talk and how you laugh and, like, how you go about talking about certain subjects. So I think the moment for me have 
the moments for me have been just like hearing, oh, we perfectly captured that conversation, even if it was so impromptu, mm-hmm. so that people will be like, oh my God, you talked about spoken word. I hate spoken word too. <laughs> Instead of like me trying to write out like a BuzzFeed post about spoken yeah. word, you know, like it's yeah. just different. So I really appreciate like the kinds of conversations we can have. Yeah. And I, we want to go to the Q&A, but I do want to have a question about... Um, about getting different types of voices into podcasting. I feel like we, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like podcasting has broken us open to be able to have more of a different type of voice. That could be race, it could be gender, it could be conversation. Um, And I don't know, Heaven Tracy talked about this a lot yesterday about, uh, you know, being a black voice in a primarily white community. And I would also even think about, like, uh, with these sort of the the podcasting world now, it's like everyone's veering away from sort of the NPR stayed something something, but then it's also maybe veering towards like a very similar sounding like intimate storytelling where I'm going to tell you a story now and maybe I'm going to use vocal fry while I do it. Um, and so and so I just wonder about ways of injecting to break the medium open like even more like what would you like to hear from new people coming up or new podcasts coming out like different types of voices mm-hmm. lulu well i've i've started thinking about right after radio lab when a lot of things were sort of sounding like it mm-hmm. and i was like this is the best thing ever for podcasting because people are going to get so sick of it <laughs> that there'll be some new, like it's just going to create a tire, like a tiring feeling and the listening that, that it's going to pave the way its own popularity is going to pave the way for something we can't even think of. And so I think, mm-hmm. I do think as things start to shift in one way, uh, it just, it makes a craving for something mind-blowingly different that more intense. And it makes the, the you know, someone sitting around hearing the same old trick just be like, I'm sick of this, I need to invent something else. So I think it's a good, I mean, I think that we're, we are seeing this beginning of an explosion of different ways of doing things, whether it's like, you know, bringing in fiction, you know, whatever it may mm-hmm. be, I think we're in a moment where we're exploring and some brand new idea that maybe none of us can even think of is being incubated. Heaven? Yeah, the absolutely like a thousand percent my favorite feedback we get is people emailing us being like, I've never heard like brown girls like me, like on podcasts, on radio, in media. Um, and like also people who are like, I've never listened to podcasts before, but you guys sound just like my friends. I want to like tune in every week. Yeah. I have no doubt that like people who love podcasts will find our podcast because our podcast is dope. <laughs> but is, the people I really want to reach are the people who don't even know what podcasts are or who just don't think mm-hmm. it, think it's just like some white dudes farting in, in a mic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so like, which is a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited for those kinds of emails, and I just can't like I'm excited for like to grow our audience and to like let people know we're, like we're doing stuff like this, and you can be smart and funny and chill. Yeah. And drink bourbon all in one show. <laughs> it's funny. One of one of the things I've been thinking about since yesterday when we had these like small breakout groups in the afternoon, uh, someone in my a woman in my group said a lot of times we're all talking about diversity, diversity, diversity. I want diversity, and we invite diversity into the room, and then no one listens to it. Is that and I just thought, like, wow, that really, I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I, I'm really curious what you think about that. <sighs> yeah, I, it's not in my nature to be hopeful. <laughs> okay. 
That's just a baseline. It's <laughs> just the baseline. <laughs> I am excited by the kind of changing wave of podcasts, but I I do I I feel that like I feel like there are dope voices, but sometimes you have to be the the one person who's invited on a panel to be the brown person, which is like different. That would never happen. Here. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening I here. Know, I'm I headlining this conference. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. That's not about. happening here. But I'm saying like <laughs> that definitely happens where they're like, oh, let's get a freelancer brown person in. They'll do the like the brown beat, and then you know yeah. that's their version of diversity versus like, well, no, we're part of the programming here. We decide what stories happen. So I. I guess I'm cautiously optimistic. Even that's generous. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And Brooke, one of the things that came up in the I am Lakshmi Singh conversation, which is, I don't know if you guys know about this, but he wore, she wore the motherfucking hat. That's all you need to know. Um, is, uh, is diversity, not just thinking about gender and, and race, but also age. Uh, there was, there was, it was also, I mean, you did oh, say I'm you were 60, so I feel like the floor no, is open. <laughs> Don't yeah. look so surprised. It's all well, you know, it's, it's time for the baby boom to take its big heavy foot off the manhole of culture anyway and shuffle off. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not even, oh, wow, 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 wow. I'm not that worried about that. Uh, I would say that, you know, to echo what Lulu said, um, I would love to have some podcast experiences that aren't simply echoes of my own experience or of people 15 or 20 or 25 years younger who are white and all went to liberal uh, uh-huh. um, uh, colleges that had the $4 signs next to their names or something. Look, you know, that's how I raised my kids. It's great. But the thing is, is that... <laughs> I, uh, you know, you can get so precious to a point where, you know, it's, I, you know, yeah, right, your t-shirt shrunk, you know, can we have something with some stakes, or at least give me an experience that I haven't had before, and so what I'm really interested in is, uh, is, uh, economic diversity, I want to hear stories from poor people, I mean... I don't know what those pores are thinking out there, and, yeah. I, and I would I would really like. Uh, well, to know. I do think I'd I like mean, to I, know what that's like. I guess to that's live. what I was meaning in the sense of I feel like we've gone from sort of the NPR broadcaster thing to like the like we're all going to sound like the certain way of podcasting thing, and it's sort of this you know young. No offense to young people. Um, it is, it's, you know, but it, it has a certain sound to it. And I do think Lulu's right that eventually we're going to be like, oh, I'm so sick of that sound. And then it's going to break open into something else. Love looking in the mirror. That's going to be the countervailing yeah. influence. But I guess what I'm saying is I think that age is then a really important part of that. I don't want to shuck out all of the baby boomers for all the young, you know, young white kids. You know, I want. We've got a lot of Beatles retrospectives coming up. <laughs> I'm looking forward to them. Okay, so we want to open it up to oh gosh, uh, right. to the to the floor. Um, do we have any any questions for our awesome panelists? Someone just wave a mic at me. We've got one back here. Oh wait, we'll go we'll go over to you over there. Okay, but you first okay, back here. Thanks. So um, I'm wondering, t- talking about like owning your voice, finding your voice. Um, when it, if any of you coach reads, how you do that, and also about encouraging people to write for their own voice, because I think that's a big part of it, and especially Brooke, writing for your voice. Or and so that means everybody's script, you can't have uniform scripts or even uniform ways of writing scripts. 
And Mary, you think about this too, because you're 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 yeah, more scripted, right? Yeah, than 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 these two in the middle with their conversations. Uh, so who wants to take that first, Brooke? Maybe. Well, I'll just. Uh, I think in terms of coaching, uh, I will encourage people to drink. I will. Um, I will encourage them sometimes to stand, although I don't. And I always encourage them to use their hands. Using their hands is huge. It makes more difference than anything. You start to emphasize the word you want to emphasize. And there was somebody who died not long ago called the Host Whisperer, this uh, Australian who used to, people remember him. And uh, one thing he said, which people are afraid to do, but it's really doable and it also works really well. Most people have trouble with the last parts of their sentences. Mm-hmm. It always goes da 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 whatever the rhythm may be, that is when it's really asserted. That's where you can make the change. What he always suggested is to look up at the end of the last, say, four or five, the last line, or at least the last half of the line. Just look up. Uh, it's amazing how it has a more natural fall or it lands more naturally if you just look up at the end of the line. Uh, the big problem is, are you going to lose your place? You know, use your finger, whatever, you know. <laughs> just, uh, but I have found that that works. But if there was one bit of advice, it would be uh, use your hands. And in terms of writing for your voice, you know, all you have to do is read. I used to, when I was editor of All Things Considered, I had to write for uh, Robert Siegel, who could read endless amounts of long sentences, uh, Noah Adams, who did not like any word that was longer than three or four syllables, and, you know, Linda, who was different from day to day. I'd never know how it would go. So it was, all of those intros were really different. You, you know, Write stuff, read it. It'll become clear really fast. I had a I had a journalism professor that, which I thought was a, almost it's like what we do at Radiolab at some level. Was she just said just record yourself talking to someone, like with a friend or with you know just to yourself. I mean, it doesn't really one side of your phone conversation, and then type it out like listen to it and type it out and you'll hear sort of your natural intonations and your your cadences and and things like that but mary what about a script well i would echo that but i'd also say if you're reading a script having someone else in the studio who you're reading to can make it feel more conversational you sort of get the stakes a little bit more you'll interrupt yourself and they'll interrupt you when something's getting confusing or you want to explain it in a different way and it can be helpful right and then do you guys have any any thoughts for the, the conversational style, maybe? Not scripted? Close your eyes. That's like, I've hit my nose on the mic a lot because of this <laughs> technique that I'm developing. But I, but Miller always has a, yeah. But no, but that's, like, and, and like, I think of it as almost gist tracking. Like, I know what I, I need to get from here to there, and I'll try it a few times. And I don't know, for me, closing my eyes helps because then I'm not reading. And... Then the other thing is I'm walking, like just taking drafts around the block on my smartphone. And just suddenly with clarity, I hear, when I listen to a draft in motion, I hear where I'm going on too long, narration I don't need, and just like walk and bring a piece of paper and like sit on the stairs outside because I feel like you do your most pure writing when you're away from the computer. I have a quick question for you, actually, which you said you've done it yeah. both ways, where you've done it, you know, 
radio lab just go into the studio and talk and then you've done it where it's more scripted now yes. so I'm wondering what you prefer and what are the sort of advantages and challenges of both as Brooke said writing is so much faster <clears throat> and when and and like I, I don't know how you guys <laughs> do it every week and make it that I don't I mean I just but but so writing it's faster and when you need to turn things around and, and you can make so much you can make quick edits huge revisions without having broken your back and spending two weeks like crafting this thing and to just you you're less attached to it i think writing is really good for speed and wild revisions and then conversation Mm -hmm. is great because i think you can access certain truths and way of saying things when you're not you don't have that judge on watching you write every word being like you just there's this whole realm of ideas and phrasings that exist outside of the computer in your hands and so like conversation gives you a freshness and this kind of special world but writing but then it takes so long <laughs> to yeah, edit that Lou down. and I keep looking at each other because with with Radiolab you'll go in and you'll come out with like four hours of you like telling telling Jad something off the top of your head like you know it, t- it and then you have to muddle through that and be like okay what parts of this conversation do I want yeah what parts didn't work and I script and Brooke doesn't have time for that every week yeah <laughs> so, and, they bo- yeah. Yeah. so I, I don't know we're trying to like I don't know I'm trying to figure out the fusion where maybe yeah. you just harness like three sentences from the conversation and get throw everything else away and then write it and like I don't know and heaven, do you have a fusion? Sorry, Mary, we'll get, no, no, then no. we'll circle back. Do you have a fusion, a or is it all <laughs> conversation? Oh, I mean, is we, any of it scripted? No, we definitely like prep for the segments, and even if it's like a, I want Tracy to be surprised, but I'll still tell her like a broad theme for what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. But I think like I don't know, the improv people are always like yes and. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. kind of how I treat our mm-hmm. conversations. Like you get better at like setting up her jokes or like all right, Tracy, where's this going? But I'm going to go with it anyway. Like, you know, we just have, we, you get better in conversation at like sort of yes and anding each other and be like, yes, I'll go with this. Mary, did you want to? Oh, no, I was just going to ask about the surprise thing because I feel like mm-hmm. um, we go back and forth right now about how much are we going to surprise each other in the studio and how much are we going to know beforehand? And I wonder if you guys have thoughts on that. We're, we uh, went on a staff retreat and we're trying to figure out how Bob and I can talk to each other more without sounding like those lame newscasters that say, oh, get out your snow tires. It's, you know, like, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we don't want it to sound fake. So, you know, we had a little exchange last week and, and this week he, uh, I knew he was going to tell me a story and so he said, did you know this? And I said, yes, I do. But I deliberately didn't listen to the tape so I can have an authentic response. So it's sort of transparent. We're trying to talk to each other, but we're not good at it yet kind of thing. <laughs> so a little bit, a little bit of improv, a little bit of conversation, a little yeah. bit of scripting, and look up at the end of saying everything. I think was, but also close your eyes. And close your eyes. <laughs> and maybe spin in some circles. I do actually, I like a squat. I do like some squats to like, because it actually, it, it makes air. you breathe deeply. I always do like five squats before I... And Justin uh, uh, Bieber does push-ups, like, if anyone wants to know. I You're tried on that first-name basis with Justin <laughs> Bieber. Yeah, I almost called him Belieber, and then I was like, wait, that's not his last name. Uh, and and drinking, don't forget here? drinking. Don't forget oh, drinking. Oh, bourbon. That's it. So um, I, I had never also heard of Vocal Fry until Kate Hines of <laughs> Man Spreading Fame uh, just explained it to me, like, three weeks ago or something like that. 
Uh, and I just want to say at the risk of sounding strident, which is also kind of like an anti-woman thing, I think that the whole idea of vocal fry is anti-woman. And so when I started in broadcasting in the Reagan administration, <laughs> true, uh, and like everybody who knows me now is going to think this story is weird, but uh, I had a boyfriend in college when we worked at the college <laughs> radio station, and we both worked at the college radio station. He said, you are never going to succeed in radio. Your voice is too high. And, uh, and I believe this. That, I believe it for a long time. And I got my first job in broadcasting at WUNC in Chapel Hill, and I went on the air, and I was so convinced the minute I opened that mic, they were going to fire me because they were going to be like, oh, her voice is too high. So, um, yeah, I've been in broadcasting since the Reagan administration, and, uh, you know, I just want a Peabody, so I guess somebody can hear hey. my voice. Uh, but um, I just... You know, want to say that I think this is another obstacle, this whole fry thing. And, um, you know, it's because people are not used to hearing women's voices. It's not just a women thing, though, Andrea. What? I mean, it's not really just a women thing. People are using it that way in their attacks, you know, but it's, it is a thing. And it's well, and, yes, it is a thing, but when and it isn't a, just limited to women. If it's well, a distasteful thing, if people are saying like, "Oh, these young women sound young," or like stupid high school girls or whatever, then uh, I feel like it's uh, it exists. I agree that it exists, but I think the idea of attaching a negative attribute to it mm-hmm. is a way of making people feel unsure mm-hmm. about their voices and what they're saying. So to to maybe build off of that, because I do think that it's it does exist in that both sexes have it, if it does exist. Uh, it's being targeted towards women. Um, do you think, panelists, that this <laughs> is... Just un, it's just one thing, and when we're done with vocal fry, we'll move like the the angry minority audience that doesn't want to hear a female on the radio will go towards just another thing. And if so, is there anything we can do about that? Do I, I mean it sounds like I shouldn't care, and that we just charge onwards. Lulu, you're nodding yeah, a lot. Well, just yeah, the give less fucks. I think yeah. that's yeah. what I mean, and I think people will will. I don't. I don't know. I think there's a little element of like radio's this magical f- space where we get to exist without bodies and faces to critique, and like let's invent a physical attribute to say if you're good or bad or measuring up. And I don't like. I think that it's so. Um, I think we're going to leave it behind us. I think people are going to, I don't know, I think people will get used to it and there'll be some people hanging on to the fry and then it'll be like, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't, I think it's, we're going to leave it behind. I don't think it, I don't think it's, I don't think we're going to be slowed down by vocal fry. But Brooke? No. Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. (laughs) Yes, it's true. We have uh, uh, one more comment here, question down in the middle. Thanks. Um, Hi. So I'm 25, I guess, um, and I haven't really been on the radio. <laughs> I just turned 25, that's why. Um, but I guess I just want to like question just one more time, like these sort of gendered notions of authority um, and how it's expressed. And I guess I was told recently that um, my favorite comedian Chelsea Peretti has a lot of vocal fry, and it made me think about how she uses her voice. And to me, when I hear her talking in this way that I guess is super 
fried, and I can hear it too, like it expresses a kind of dissent and like rebellion, you know, like someone's maybe talking at her. So her podcast called Chelsea Pretty, like she just opens the phone lines or like the Skype Google lines or whatever, and anyone can talk to her. Um, So sometimes when I hear her, she's like, I don't know, I just hear her being like, you know, you're talking at my face, but, like, I'm not necessarily listening. (laughs) Yeah? And it's like, yeah, so to me that speaks a kind of authority um, and dissent and rebellion, and I guess... and, and, And also, like, I feel like I can understand her because I'm a millennial, which means that, like, if women are speaking, if millennial women are speaking in a certain way, like, they are cultivating a kind of authority for other women who are their audience and who, who we're like communicating with in a, in, in a community. So then I'm curious if maybe this, this translates into being women who I see as being successful and making things and being in a workplace. Um, like, do you guys feel like you express authority in ways that are distinctly disruptive to masculinity um, or, or sort of perform authority in ways that are different? You know what I mean? Like if vocal fry is sort of veering away from a masculine tone that we've been told is like that's what authority sounds like there are other ways that you do it too lulu oh it's i just i that's an interesting way to put it that it's it's like a bird call that other people aren't gonna get but we are (laughs) Um, i like that but but i'm also with brooke that like it does maybe maybe there okay if there's some truth to it maybe it conveys some distance but maybe it's just a way that like we get what it means and i don't know i mean um, I think there could be a little bit of, of that sort of, um, just like, you know, as SNL is constantly evolving what humor is, and when digital shorts started and there was this slightly different language and cadence and it, communi- it connected with younger audiences, you know, there could be some of that going on. Um, I guess there is stuff to talk about with Vocal Fry. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Lulu texted me last night and she goes, I, I'm over Vocal Fry. And I was like, okay, heaven... Do you have any any? Oh, thoughts? I'm so over vocal fry. I just don't fucking care. I think but I mean, but I actually like this spin. I like I like this spin. We're about to end, and I like the spin we've got at the end of like uh, dissent against authority, and and it and just and just trying out different ways to to find a voice and fuck it if people don't like it. That's a cool reading. I think that's a valid reading. I just still don't care. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Like, I just don't care about vocal fry at all. Like. I j- it comes from men who like literally never heard women speak. I just yeah. don't care. Yeah. <laughs> to like validate that opinion, the fact that we even have a word for it, like kill me. I, I want to do. Uh, I want to do. Uh, 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 we're thinking about takeaway. Our takeaway messages are: keep trying out your voice. Stand up. Don't give a fuck. Let's just go quickly down the line. What you want everyone to remember about finding your voice, Brooke. I guess I guess it's you know if you're afraid, sh- don't show it. Be, be confident. <laughs> it's not the same thing, but okay. <laughs> yeah, make stuff for you and your friends, and who cares what other people say? That's it's as cheesy as it sounds. <laughs> Sorry, Lulu, you gotta come yeah, up with no, something just, new. No, I can't. Oh, I have to because I was just gonna hear here the don't give a fuck. Like yeah, I'm, I'm feeling 100%. really good about that. And just keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, the practice. more that you do it, the better you're gonna get to you, not to other people. Don't do it for other people, but do it because you want to sound authentic, sound authentic to who you are. Excellent. Let's give a round of applause. That was Molly Webster, Heaven Nagatu, Brooke Gladstone, Lulu Miller, and Mary Harris speaking at the 2015 Work It Festival. 
Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Harnish Foundation. 